0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you, thank you. All right. Ah, How's it going, everybody? Good? Good. Awesome. All right, well, I got a big stack of books here today, so... Kimberly's excited. Um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to do a little Bible study with you guys today. Is that okay? I'm good with that? Awesome. Awesome. Not allowed to boo that one. You get in trouble for that. <laughs> you can just hold that to yourself if that's not something you're a fan of. But um, So I, um, I felt this, uh, I'm not going to call it a prophetic word exactly, but I felt this uh, impression the some weeks ago um, where I was looking at the, uh, the the course of uh, the world right now, you know. And when I say, when you say things like the, the world, the way the world's heading, or the way things are going, or stuff like that, I'm sure everyone has different feelings about that, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, there's different um, views you can take when it comes to uh, the world you know you can kind of look at the the world as this antagonistic thing, which is something that is talked about in scripture sometimes like oh, it 's in in contention with with the things of God you know, but that 's kind of tricky at the same time because it 's also well it 's true that many times the, the the world is the the enemy of what God wants to do it 's also true that God so loved the world that he sent his only son so um, it's kind of this interesting tension between these two things, and so as I was thinking about that and I was looking at the trajectory of the world, I just had this thought, this sentence pass through my mind. What if I can look at the way certain things are going or certain situations are, are being handled or whatever else, I'm being, being brought intentionally just so that we can kind of look at it with our own lens, and I can look at it as something that I'm worried about, scared of, need to fight against or, or take control of, or instead... I can let this phrase go through my mind, was I, what, what if I, instead of just looking at the trajectory of the world and having an emotional response, what if instead I looked at it as something that the Lord, as a generation that the Lord is preparing me to father? If, got in the back. What, what, if, what if I could approach my view of the world not as an enemy, not as something I'm in contention with, but as a generation that I'm supposed to father. How would I think differently? Well, as I had that thought, the very first thing that came to my mind is, I need a lot more wisdom. I imagine most of us do too. Yes. So, so what's wisdom? We're going we're gonna to do a little Bible study on wisdom today. Does that sound good? So, what is wisdom? Well, I've heard wisdom uh, described many different ways. Some people, uh, I, I would say, and you can correct me if, if this is not true to you so much, but I think usually when I hear people talk about it, it's like smart, maybe not intelligence per se, but it's being able to apply knowledge, you know, being able to make good choices, things like that. You guys ever hear definitions kind of in that ballpark? I don't, I don't think that's not true, but um, I, it, it, whenever I've heard of that, there's something, and it, almost every time I hear wisdom taught or, or overly defined, it, it kinda feels like it's missing something. And so, uh, while I do think, in, in some sense, wisdom is being smart, wisdom is making good decisions, wisdom is applying knowledge well, uh, biblical wisdom is something a little bit bigger, a little bit deeper, and a little bit broader than that. The, the Hebrew word that is often translated as wisdom, that I'm going to pronounce poorly for you all right now, is a word called a chokmah, chokmah. I think that's how you say it. Um, if there's any Hebrew experts, you can grade me later. Uh, now, chokmah is... Uh, wisdom is a very good word for it, but it's deeper than what we th- probably think of as wisdom. The, some of the best descriptions I've heard of the way chokmah is used throughout the Bible is uh, the principle by which the whole universe is ordered and coheres. This is the stuff that God made the world out of. It, in in uh, Proverbs 8, it talks about how God formed the sea, formed the air, formed the mountains with wisdom. That he created wisdom first and used wisdom to create these things. It's all in Proverbs 8 if you want to read about that. Um, and so it's, it's more than just me being smart. It's something I can ally myself with. Am I ally, allied with wisdom? Am I following wisdom? Am I following the, the principle by which the whole universe is ordered and coheres? It's a natural law like gravity. It's something that's just there. But it's more than that. It's also a moral code. It's something that responds to how we behave. So it's not, it is in some ways just a, a force like, like gravity, like mathematics, like all these things, but also it's something much deeper. It's something that is that is alive, that has this morality to it. Um, also, just kind of keep drawing this picture a little bit more, it's not just a cognitive thing. It's something that again, you ally yourself with. So when Solomon talked about the, uh, in, uh, in the book, in, I think it's first end of First Kings, uh, about um, the people he chose to build the temple, it says he chose craftsmen with chokhmah, craftsmen who carried wisdom. So again, wisdom is not just, oh, they weren't just the smartest craftsmen, they weren't the most brainy intellectual ones. These are ones who, were connected to the way that, that God made the world to work in their area of craftsmanship. Does that make sense? And again, just to kind of roll this around our mind before we dive in here, um, we, we've all probably had experiences with people who carry chokmah in their field, you know, that, that carry a spirit of wisdom. You know, how many, let's just take a random thing, Like, how many of you have ever been to a doctor and uh, n- walked away not feeling like you had a great experience? It's Like, I feel depressed, I feel scared, I feel talked down to. There's all kinds of things you can experience when you go to a doctor. Now, how many of you have gone to a doctor and like, wow, I feel like I understand what's going on better, I feel a little bit more confident, I feel like I know what I I can do now. I walked away feeling, feeling, even if not just because of the medicine they gave, but I feel better. Anyone ever have that experience? That's a (laughs) picture, again, of an idea of, of... have you ever worked with a craftsman or a builder or something? And they, they it, again, any one of these things is not wisdom itself, but they all come from wisdom. Someone who does the extra little details, makes things a little bit nicer, puts thought into how something's constructed, how it's laid out, versus someone who maybe just does it the quickest way. You know, does it the most, of, uh, the most simple way or just kind of slaps it together without thinking it all the way through. Have we experienced those extremes? <laughs> yeah, like he makes it happen. Um, the So, again, I'm just trying to help expand our idea of what wisdom is. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a philosophy we live by. It's something that we're trying to ally ourselves with, the way God created the world to work. I, I heard one person describe it. This is a danger of going off course. But... They, they compared it to Star Wars and to, to the Force, that, you know, force moves through all things, it touches everything, and all that stuff, you know, and it's, you know, it's a silly example, it's somewhat true in the sense, like, okay, God used wisdom when creating everything, so his touch is everywhere. Now, rather than being a dark side of the Force in this thing, the dark side of the Force in this is being dumb. Uh, <laughs> it's called foolishness and thoughtless, so not the same proportion as that, so anyway, that's where the metaphor falls apart. All right, feeling a little bit better about what wisdom is, got some of those ideas in our head. Okay, well, if you read the Bible, how many of you read the Bible? It's a good habit, not every hand's up, not judging that, but uh good time for reflection on what's uh, wise. Um, so <laughs> the... Um, <coughs> So if you start at the beginning, in Genesis, all the way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you kind of have this natural flow. God creates the world. You start understanding the relationship he has with people. He he starts interacting with with these special people that he's he's connected to. And it's uh, kind of a narrative history. This story keeps going through and through and through. And then all of a sudden, you run into this book that feels different. It's a book called Job. And it starts a series of books that, all of a sudden, kind of interrupt interrupt the flow. And these are called the uh, wisdom literature. A lot of debate on which books belong in there, which ones don't. But uh, it's essentially, you know, Job, uh, Proverbs, Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, and uh, Song of Solomon, the wisest of them all. Um, and uh, now. Uh, Psalms has some stuff that's mainly just worshipful, some stuff that's more uh, wisdom-oriented, but uh, today I wanna talk about three different books of wisdom, and so we're gonna kinda rocket through this. We're gonna do a a quick flyover of these three books. I don't have time to delve into every detail of all these, but I would like to, because they're very fascinating. Um, We're gonna look at Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Now, you're probably excited about one of those three books. But this is something that's very important because one way to think about it is that in these, there's different sections of scripture. There is, there is the narrative history, which is the majority of, especially the Old Testament, but also the New. There is the books of wisdom, and these books concern themselves with what does a good life look like? How do you make good choices? How do you be a good neighbor? How do you be a friend? How do you be a husband? How do you be a wife? It, can, it concerns itself with how do we do life. And then it continues into the, to the prophets, which kind of has that touch of narrative flow once again. But um, if you want to think of it this way, these books were like Wisdom 101, Wisdom 102, Wisdom 103. Typically, at least, at least what's true to my experience, the way that we learn wisdom and study the wisdom books usually looks like, let's kinda pick the little uh, bumper sticker uh, statements that sound the best and live by those ones. You ever have that kind of view or experience? Or, I think it's one of the reasons that we read the book of Proverbs and say, oh, it's, you know, um, so here, let's let's kinda dive into this for one second. So, how many of you enjoy the book of Proverbs? It's a good one. It teaches you how to be wise, gives you all this information, tells you what to do. We love it when things tell us what to do. Some of us don't, but ultimately we want to be told what to do. So I, I took the liberty real quick. I, I looked up what are the top 10 verses in Proverbs. So I'm just going to read through those quick, and you can uh, judge all of yourselves for uh, making these choices. But they're all, they're all fantastic. So number one, Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's a great one. We like that, yeah? Perfect. Awesome. Proverbs 22.6. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Good one, yeah? Good, good, good? Okay. (laughs) I'm not as enthusiastic, that's fine. Okay. Uh, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Good? Okay. All right. uh, Proverbs 31.10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth more than rubies. That one's a little depressing, but... uh, (laughs) you know it's true who could fight <laughs> oh anyway uh, proverbs 14:12 moving swiftly along there is a way that appears to be right but in the end it leads to death wow I'll put that one in there wow Wow. Oh. proverbs 4:23 above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it That's nice again. Okay, we're back on track. right, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. That's a nice one. That's a nice one. Okay. All right, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's a good one. Yeah. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed are those who heed wisdom's instruction. Okay, that's a good one. Number 10 on the top 10 list, Proverbs 23, 7, for he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Mm, watch out for shady people, is what I'm saying man. <laughs> okay, so Proverbs is full of this kind of thing. Now, it's generally thought that um, Solomon was the author of uh, Proverbs, but it's uh, explicitly stated in there that there are multiple authors, and so a way to think of it is Solomon probably wrote the majority of these. The Solomon being David's son and the wisest man that ever lived, um, and uh, he was also So he wrote many of these, but also he was kind of a curator. Like he is, there is all these wonderful teachers and speakers who are around, and he is choosing ones that like, yes, I hear wisdom in what you're saying. I'm adding this to this to this book, and can don't have time to get into all of this, but there's a fascinating principle here because these are, these are so different than the rest of Scripture. So much of Scripture up until this point is God shows up and gives you these stone tablets. Like God himself wrote this down and handed it to you. Here's what you're to do. And this is this wild, different, beautiful thing where people have lived out their life trying to follow, trying to live by these principles. And here are the little pieces of info, the little bits of information that stick out to them as they walk through life. It's as if God is partnering with his people and it's showing his wisdom to them. Does, it, does that make sense? He's like, and and Solomon being this man who's associated and connected with God's wisdom is curating, yes, I hear the wisdom of God in this statement, in this phrase, in in, in this little one-liner, you know? And so if you, again, we don't have time to get into all the details here. We could spend several weeks on any of these books, but... <clears throat> so some of the gist of things that you'll pick up as you read through Proverbs is you know, follow the way of wisdom, follow the way of God, and good things will happen to you. Now, this, is, this is a way to get, live a good life, and it puts some boundaries on you, puts some limits on you, but also gives you direction, gives you pursuit, uh, a way to have a good life. Basically, follow these instructions is one of the promises at the beginning, and you will have a good life. That sounds great, yeah? All right, so... We're gonna jump back and forth here, and we're gonna try applying these books to a real-life situation. I'm gonna share a story that I've shared before, um, so it may be familiar to a good portion of you. But I, I, because a lot of uh, when it comes to wisdom, it is very much something that is meant to be applied to real life. And so let's let's give it a try. So when I was a teenager, I had a friend uh, named Peter who had uh, leukemia, which is a cancer of the blood, if I'm not mistaken. And so um, now Peter is, is a difficult person to describe because he was, um, he was so unique he, he just one of those guys from a very young age who just loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and you know, if you grew up in church, you would meet some people who acted that way, but it was very much a, a posing and a kind of show off sort of thing. This was not peter this this guy was genuine he loved the Lord. We'd be hanging out as friends, and he would just suddenly be gone. Where did Peter go? He went up to his room to play guitar and worship. Um, it's like, oh. Just, his, just, and, and again, he was just so genuinely that way. It wasn't something that he tried to do. It was just who he was. And so, um, you know, he struggled with with leukemia, where he would uh, he would start to get better, and then he would start to get worse. He would be in the hospital, on dialysis, struggling big time, and then a shift would happen, and he would start to get better. The whole time, you know, people were getting, nurses were getting saved in his hospital room because of the way that he worshipped God while he was getting dialysis. Like, again, just one of those, one, he was, wasn't the perfect human being, but uh, he, he was uh, righteous in many ways. Um, And, you know, uh, he he was uh, really connected with some different ministries as as well that he had uh, uh, encountered uh, throughout his life. And so there were amazing fathers in the faith that were praying for him, that were ministering to him, that were seeking the Lord and how to just release healing on this person. I grew up in a church where we, we didn't see a whole lot of healing, but it was something that happened. It was something that we believed in and we would, you know, see it. And so we were praying all the time for my friend Peter and one just real quick personal story with, with that, um, so uh, for those of you who uh, have been here for a while, you know that I, uh, a big part of my testimony is that since I was a little kid, I've, I've seen in the spirit, and so I've uh, had encounters with seeing angels and other spiritual things, and it's something that I always believed was meant to be available to every Christian, so I would pray for an impartation of this gift to anyone who would let me, and maybe a few people who wouldn't. Um, and... One day, we were, uh, our two families were camping together, me and uh, Peter's family, and Peter leaned over to me while we were sitting around the campfire, and he said, you know, I never really told you this, but I've always wanted to see in the Spirit. I've always wanted to see what's happening in the Spirit. Uh, would you pray for me? And at that point, I'd probably prayed for about 300 people, and zero of them had started seeing in the Spirit, which is uh, very st- terrible from a statistical perspective, so... <laughs> I was still willing, but I was not confident. And so I stood behind my friend, I laid my hand on his shoulders, and I just prayed, Lord, I just release the gift of seeing in the spirit on my friend Peter. The second he did that, I looked in the spirit, and I saw these gigantic hands lift this bowl up from under the fire. It was full of oil and spices and different things, and just pour it over Peter's head. And two seconds afterwards, Peter described seeing the very thing that I had just seen a moment before, this gigantic bowl pouring out over him. And so he was the very first person I ever prayed for that started seeing in the spirit. Um, and so I, I, I was, I've always been a bit of a skeptical person by, by nature. And so uh, when people were praying, talking about healing and praying for miracles and things like that, I was like, ah, you know, show me. Um, and oh, I believe that God can do anything, but, you know, let's, let's see what's going on here. And, but man for for peter i' felt this gift of faith you know i felt like oh i I believe it, it, i, I don 't need to work to believe that you 're going to be healed. This is just true um, so it was really hard when just a handful of uh, weeks uh, maybe maybe a month after that trip that um, Peter took a really steep dive all of a sudden and uh, passed away and you know when he when his condition uh, kind of tanked he he rode an ambulance to the hospital and was singing in the spirit and describing the angels that he saw in the ambulance with them as as they went there, which is awesome. But then he he but then he died, and so I I walk into this situation and I have these promises. I have promises that God is just that He brings healing, that he brings wholeness, that, that if you follow the way of wisdom, you'll, you'll experience health in your body, you'll experience financial prosperity, like all this good stuff will happen, yet I have this experience that does not match what has been written down. And so I struggle, you know, I, I ran these possibilities through my mind, you know. <clears throat> um, you know, okay, was, was Peter, uh, did Peter have some kind of secret sin in his life? I mean, maybe he's not a perfect human being, but that just didn't ring true to the person that I knew you know and and to the character of 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 his person, honestly, he's the kind of person that if he did, he would pull people in to help him out with that because that's just who he was, you know okay, well, then maybe the people who prayed for him had bad motivations, you know they had an unhealthy thing going on with them, and that's that's why it didn't happen. Well, maybe, and probably, maybe even 90% of the people that prayed for him had that, but hundreds of people prayed for him of many different kinds, and surely at least one of them, at least 10 of them, at least 20 of them had faith, had genuine belief, had had a pure heart, right? And even myself, I mean, yeah, maybe my faith wasn't the strongest in this area, but I felt that gift of faith when when I prayed for him. So what happened? Um... And I think that a lot of times, we as Christians will hang around Proverbs because it sounds really great, and it sounds really nice, and it especially appeals to our need for control, that if I do the right things, then good things will happen to me. But we got some more books of wisdom to cover that bring dimension to this reality in a way that's challenging. So um, if you want to, you can flip over to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, everyone's favorite book of the Bible. <laughs> Honestly, this is really one of my favorites. Um, there's a couple different reasons. I'm going to be slightly nerdy for a little while, but uh, so from a literary perspective, I find it very, very fascinating because um, it's one of the books of the Bible that most clearly gets you a picture of who wrote it—not specifically who, but their character, their personality. Um, just a quick, you know, Bible throw down real fast, but, um, so, the, uh, Ecclesiastes 1.1 says, the words of the preacher, uh, or some versions say the teacher or the speaker, uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, some people have taken that to mean, like, that means it's Solomon, because he was the son of David. Then they read the first verse, futility of futility, says the preacher, futility of futilities, all is futility. It's like, ooh, this is the guy who, did, uh, curated Proverbs, and then next page is everything is futile, um, this word futility. Uh, it's, 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 this is the NASB. It says futility. Some people say meaningless. Some versions say, um, oh, let me think. Vanity is kind of the King James uh, sort of version. Um, the the literal the um, Hebrew word here is hevel, hevel, and the most a literal translation of hevel is uh, smoke or vapor, smoke or vapor. So he's literally saying smoke of smoke. Says the preacher, futility of futilities, vapor of vapors. And so people have long, uh, so he says this word, hevel, 38 times uh, in this very short book. And it is only spoken uh, 73 times in the entire Bible. So he takes up quite a lot in these few pages that everything is vapor, everything. Now, um, I, I would humbly suggest that this is a word that people have struggled to translate because it is a metaphor. He's saying everything is smoke. Does that mean everything is vanity? It's just vain. It just doesn't mean anything. Does it again some versions say meaningless? I think this word futility is probably close. But remember that when he's using this word, it's not just just the word in front of you. It's a metaphor that's meant to point to an idea. And um, metaphors are something we're sometimes uh, a little bit uncomfortable with uh, engaging with in scripture because especially in Western culture, we have a really high value for literalism, like this means this one thing. The tricky thing is metaphors are a useful way to point at something that means lots of things or something that says something that you can't quite, something that means something that you can't quite say with words, you know? And this is kind of meant to be that. It's like, hey, I, there's not a word for this. So it's, it's vapor, it's smoke, it's a mystery, it's meaningless, it's vanity. It's kind of all these things a little bit wrapped in together. Um, so this is a real exciting book. But um, some people say it's Solomon, uh, maybe, and I've heard some people teach, like, okay, this is Solomon in his later years. He got a little depressed, obviously, if you read his life story, it's understandable to see reasons why. Now, I, I, I'm careful about... I, I'm suspicious of that translation because that means you almost should like not count this book of the Bible, which is uh, not a great idea, um, in my opinion. Uh, and um, also, another kind of way to look at this is that that term, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem, also during this era, that was a, a literary motif that could either literally mean, hey, this was written by Solomon, or this was written in the style of Solomon. This is, this, is at, this is following the school of thought of Solomon. So we don't know exactly what that was intended to mean, but that is some of the things that it can mean. Um, so I, I love this too, and I, we'll get to this at the end here in a second, but it's got all this stuff, it's got all this very depressing stuff, futility, futility, all your work is meaningless, you know, all this great stuff. Um, and then there's a little caveat at the end, like someone, whoever the curator was, like, okay, all right, listen. Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll do it right now. Okay, So flip over to uh, Ecclesiastes 12. It's worth reading. So you get to verse nine. He's, the, the teacher has finished his whole rant. It's very short, well-edited. Another thing I like about this book of the Bible. Um, and uh, then they have this great little ending, this little caveat at the end. Chapter 12, verse nine. In addition, so this is, it's been the voice of the teacher. The, the first sentence is, me letting you know who this is, the rest of it's just the speaker, and at the end, we have whoever it was that was kind of curating this thing popping in one more time. Some people think that this is Solomon who's popping in. Um, so verse nine, in addition to being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of the wise are like goads. A goad is a stick that you would use to uh, get, a, uh, get a cattle or a sheep in the right direction, so you'd... Literally, he's saying he's poking you with a stick. Um, And master, these collections are like driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive study is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when everything has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So I love there's this little caveat here of like, hey, listen to this guy, but don't study too much. What? This is weird. It's very weird to our Western way of thinking, but we'll get to that in a second. So he's got his own little uh, uh, machine gun of Proverbs uh, here in the middle of Ecclesiastes, if you go to verse 7. Um, so he's got some fun uh, stuff like, um, da, 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 uh, so uh, verse 7, uh, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 10. It says, Do not say, why is, it, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom when you ask about this. So basically, uh, hey, oh, everything was so much easier when I was a kid. Everything was so much easier in the 90s, in the 2000s. He's like, Wisdom isn't telling you that. Knock it off, is <laughs> what he's saying. Um, uh, Wisdom along with an, with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom keeps it, its possessors alive. Consider the works of God, for who is able to straighten what he is bent? On the day of prosperity, be happy. But on the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. What? So that a person will not discover anything that will come after him. Okay. So again, if you jump directly from Proverbs, this is the way you're supposed to live your life. And you jump to this, it's like, who dropped this emo album in the middle of my Bible right next to these instructions on how you're supposed to live your life? Um, Another, just another fun, fun one over here is, uh, oh, where is it? Um, Oh yeah, it's a verse 11 of uh, chapter nine. It says, again I saw in son that the race does not belong to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to the skillful for time and chance overtake them all. <laughs> Basically, yeah, if you think that you're rich because you're smart or wise or if you think that you won because you're uh, the best or the fastest, it's really just time and chance. <laughs> You can see why they want to figure a way to edit this out of the Bible, don't you? Um, so to us, some part of us probably, this seems a bit offensive because there are things in here that feel like a counterbalance to the things in other parts of the scripture. There's, um, there's verses in here that say, hey, don't try to, oh, here we go, yeah. Uh, it's uh, verse, uh, seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 16. Uh, Do not be excessively righteous. And do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked, and do not be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It it is good that you grasp one thing while not letting go of the other, for the one who fears God comes out with both of them. And so, again, it can feel so confusing if we think that the purpose of Proverbs is to tell us this is what wisdom is and do this. I think one of the main, so, again, one of the things I love about Ecclesiastes is it wants you to know who his author is. So this this teacher, this speaker, and again, afterwards he says, hey, listen to this guy. He's wise. He teaches a lot of wisdom. But also, don't overthink it. Um, So this, you have Proverbs. Imagine Proverbs, like, that's the number one bestseller. That's, that's the purpose-driven life. That's the, uh, you know, if, it were, if that was brought into this, what it would be. It's like, oh, this is awesome. This is making me a better life. This is, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. Whatever thing you want to do. It's, uh, I'm, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way towards scripture. This is also authoritative God scripture. But as far as feeling, it evokes that, like, hey, do this, and these good things will happen. And the teacher is great because the teacher, um, his, his goal, his, his motivation is he is frustrated with people who think too black and white. He's frustrated with people who have become righteous in their own mind and wise in their own mind. And he is the, if you want to imagine, he's like the 40-year-old smart guy who's sitting in the corner, and every time you talk to him, it's really obnoxious because he just tears down everything that you said, kicks out the foundation from underneath, and says, well, why do do you believe that? This whole thing you've built this on is not even true. so why'd they put them in the Bible? (laughs) Well, in in the Hebrew mindset, we have an authority, what's the right term for it? We tend to view truth and the understanding of God as a definitive, which is why we love to divide when we disagree because there is only one way to understand God, and so either you are in the right denomination or the wrong denomination. You are following the real deal or not the real deal, and all of our language and value and uh, things around this cause us to say things like, well, we know what God thinks, or we know what the Bible says, which is just about the most arrogant thing I've ever heard in my entire life, because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, <laughs> which the fear of God is knowing that he is God and you are not. And you can't know him the whole way because he is infinite and you are finite. I'm giving away a little bit of the ending, but Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job all begin and end with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of wisdom. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants to make sure that even though, he, he it, again, it'd be fun to go study every. It's a, worth a read. You can read it in an afternoon. Uh, you know, make sure you drink your coffee so you're not depressed during it. But um, I love the heart behind this book. Because while so many of the things that he has to say are, are harsh and depressing, you can see that it is every time turned towards the service of God being who he is and us respecting that he is who he is. And not getting too big headed in I know what's right and wrong. It's a be- I heard a, a, a different teacher recently say that we sometimes forget that the root of all sin was in eating the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. That it is just as dangerous for you to decide to define what is good as it is for you to define what is evil. Because that's God's job. And even... When it comes to what he has said, part of the beauty of Hebraic thought is that it is necessary to have a book that countermands some things that are in here, because they have, we have more of a definitive view of what is right, and that Near Eastern mindset is more a deliberative view of what is right, that we all know that we're pointing at the same thing, but we're looking at it from different angles, and we are respecting it. Or, or just arguing about, about how to, it gives us the freedom to do that, to discuss, to debate, to have differences of view. The Western mindset is terrified of that. But that's a bummer, because part of the story of these books of wisdom is that that is the way he designed the world to be. But you can argue with me about that later if you want. <laughs> um, so again, just... just uh, to reiterate, the the teacher in this book hates black and white simplistic thinking. He hates it when people build their lives on false beliefs and hopes. And it's a reminder that Proverbs is not just instructions. He says, hey, follow the way of, of wisdom. Follow all this stuff that we talked about. Still do that. But just know this isn't a guarantee. This isn't now God owes you what you paid for. But that's how we treat it sometimes. It's also an advocation of like, hey, because things are going good doesn't mean that you're doing everything right. The rain falls on the righteous just as it does on the wicked. And God leads them both. It's fun stuff to explore. So, one of my favorite books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, I come to this experience with my friend, he who passed away. I could maybe judge the people who prayed for him, I could maybe judge him for having committed some kind of sin, or I can just say, you know what, I do believe that God wants to heal people, but it seems like it's a hard thing, and we are imperfect people, so we're just going to, there's a chance that nine times out of ten, maybe even 99 out of hundred, we're going to make a mistake, mess it up, and God's goodness doesn't make it through to the earth. And that's what I decided was true, because I didn't know what else to do. So some time went on, and went by, and I started, uh, uh, the Lord told me to go to this uh, school in Reading called the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And I was like, oh no, that's that school where they pray for people to be healed all the time. And I don't have time to get into the whole debate that I had with him, but basically he said go, I said no, Uh, he waited a year because he's very patient. (laughs) And then he said go again, and I listened. And so I went. And I listened to these people teach about healing, teach that God healed people, teach that God still wanted to heal people and that God wants to heal everybody, that every single person who came to Jesus walked away healed. And all this stuff that I just hadn't noticed before. Oh man, there's this person that Jesus prayed for, a blind man, and the first time he prayed, he could see a little bit, he said people looked like trees moving around. The second time, the person was healed. Man, if Jesus had to pray twice, maybe we gotta pray twice. Maybe we just gotta dig in a little bit more and go after this. And I started to feel this hope start to build up but at the same time, it was present with this fear of my experience, the reality of what had happened. So let's uh turn back a little bit to everyone's second favorite book of the Bible, Job. Now I'm just gonna do a real uh motorcycle race through Job here, because it's a very long book. Um but a um uh I'm gonna mess this name up very badly, so I apologize. But a a Jewish rabbi by the name of Madis Yahu to Sivat, Sivat, I'm sorry, um, said that when you look at the book of Job, it's essentially looking at three questions, or three three statements, and it seems that only two of these statements can be true. So it's either God is just and good, God's character compels him to always act justly for the good of others, and then the second kind of principle is, is the retribution principle, which is God has ordered the world so that good deeds are rewarded and evil deeds are punished. And then element number three is Job's innocence. Job has done nothing to deserve his suffering. It seems like only two of these things can be true. So if you haven't read Job, it's a very interesting book in a lot of ways. Don't have time to get into why. But um, it, um, it opens with Job, this righteous man, this man who has done good things, who has followed the way of wisdom. And then we have this scene that terrifies everybody to the extent that we oftentimes ignore it, where we see everything in heaven, and there's this kind of meeting of the the sons of God come to meet with the Lord. And then it says, and then Satan came and talked to God. Now, some of the way that I've heard this or heard it taught is almost sounds like like the devil tricked God into hurting Job or something like that. You ever get that impression? I know that's not a right way to think, obviously, but when we look at some of the way that it's taught, it's kind of like, ah, what does this mean? Well just to give you a little bit of thinking room here. Um that word uh in Hebrew uh, it's actually uh Satan is not a name, it's a title. Um and again don't have time to go into the whole thing, but there are, is and and it just means the uh the opposer, the adversary, the opposition. It's the word that would be used for a, a um oh the the lawyer uh a prosecuting lawyer would be a satan and maybe you've experienced that experience yourself um, the, <laughs> um a person whose job it is to have the other opinion does that make sense a debate and it it in different parts of the bible it describes an angel of the lord as a satan against this nation which means again not that it was the devil but that it was playing the role of coming against this wicked nation and so this is just to help you understand that. We want to be thoughtful in the way that we interpret Job because there's more than one way to look at this. There's one version where the devil comes out there. There's one version where this is an angel who is saying, hey God, is it just that you do good things to people who do good for you? Because that means that they are motivated to good, do good things, not because they love you, but because they'll get good things in return. That's the question. The details of it, This. And some of the commentaries I've read, this one by uh, John Walton is uh, quite good, um, is said that if you look at the, the breadth of the text surrounding it, um, Job is not trying to answer questions so much about how God does his justice, but by how we experience it and how we're supposed to relate to him. Does that make sense? And so Job experiences these tragedies. His children die. He has sores all over his body. I loses all, all of his cattle, just disaster, ultra disaster happens to this guy. Um, and then his three buddies come and accuse him for lots of chapters, uh, over and over and over again. Oh, this just sounds like a terrible time. Job defends himself. Essentially, all of their arguments boil down to the retribution principle. Hey, we know that God has ordered the world so that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That means you did something bad. And Job is like, "Ah, you know, I'm not a perfect person, but I don't know that I've done anything that would deserve this. And, and, you know, it just kind of basically goes into that and back and forth and back and forth and each person essentially making the same argument. Well, then after all this argument, everyone says their piece, everyone talks way longer than it seems like they should. I think that's part of the point. Um, (laughs) As as a fun, (laughs) that is part of the point of the story. Um, as a fun side note, this is one of the uh, this is the b- book of the Bible that's made me want to learn ancient Hebrew the most because it has the most rich uh, uh, vocabulary of any book of the Bible. Like there's several words that are had to be discovered and sorted out just because this the person who wrote this wrote it very eloquently and you can catch some of the beauty of the poetry in it when you're reading it in English, but it makes me want to learn the original language. But anyway, um, so all these guys throw these arguments at him, and then Job. But then God shows up and doesn't answer the question. He does kind of, but he doesn't really. And he leaves way more questions than we had before. Uh, from this commentary uh, from John Walton, he says, um, God's answer to Job does not explain why righteous people suffer, because the cosmos is not designed to prevent righteous people from suffering. Job questioned God's design, excuse me, Job questioned God's design, and God responded that Job had insufficient knowledge to do so. Job questions God's justice, and God responded that Job needs to trust him, and that he should not arrogantly think that God can be domesticated to conform to Job's feeble perceptions of how the cosmos should run. God asks for trust, not understanding, and states the cosmos is founded on his wisdom, not his justice. Now, again, that leaves way more questions than it does answers. But when we look across these three books and get a fuller picture of wisdom, I, uh, Christopher uh, Wright in his book, Mission of God, says it really, really well. It's, there's something so powerful that gets released if you can enter this wrestle of mystery. And I know most of us in the kinds of churches we grew up in, the goal has often been to eliminate mystery, which is helpful in some situations, but very damaging if we're trying to answer questions that God has decided not to answer. That's part of the whole point of Job. So uh, Christopher Wright in Mission to God says, um, The most challenging difference between the wisdom books and the rest of the Old Testament tradition arises when some voices within the former, the wisdom books, express doubts about, about or question the universal applicability of some of the mainline affirmations in other parts of the Old Testament. And yet, this may be precisely part of the purpose of the presence of this material in the canon of scripture, to compel us toward an honest faith that is willing to acknowledge the existence of doubts we cannot entirely dismiss and questions we cannot satisfactorily answer within the limits of our experience or even the limits of the revelation God has chosen to give us. The fact is that the world poses some very hard questions for those who, in line with the, Bible, the whole Bible testimony, believe in one good, personal, sovereign God. Wisdom provides a license to think, to wrestle, to struggle, to protest, and to argue. All it asks is that we do so with the undergirding faith and humble commitment to, that is encapsulated in its own core testimony, that the fear of the Lord is wisdom and to shun evil is understanding. And so, so why are we talking about all this? Because I believe that we are called to father a generation that's coming up right now. And, and, and this generation needs to grow and mature in, the, in a broader dimension of wisdom than many of us grew up with. Some of the people who are tearing their faith apart are doing so, uh, please listen to the way I'm saying this, are doing so fairly based on the philosophy that has been placed in their hands. And like so much of our experience with God, we need to have the humility to recognize that we only see in part. We only know in part. And we have to, begin have the boundary of doing all of that, all of that questioning, all of that protest, all that arguing within the fear of the Lord, within this knowledge of, of, of rejecting evil and, shun, and shunning evil, but also recognizing that we need him to be able to do that. We're not smart enough. We're not clever enough. Our forefathers, our, our, the teachers that came before us, were not smart enough for that because none of them are nearly enough compared to God, but thankfully he has made himself available to us. Does that make sense? And so I sat under this teaching for months, hearing about healing, starting to have this hope begin to build up inside my heart. And then we came to the part of the year when the, uh, uh, the students were allowed to go on the prayer lines and pray for healing on, in the middle of their of, uh, Bethel services. And someone came up to me with a pain in their back. And so I laid my hands on them and I prayed the prayer that I was taught to pray. In the name of Jesus, Please uh, remove their pain. My version of the prayer that I was taught anyway. (laughs) Anything happen? Nothing happened. All right, let's try more authority. In the name of Jesus, pain go. Nothing happens. So then I closed my eyes and thought, how long do I have to try before it is okay to give up and send this person away? (laughs) Oh, man of great faith. And the Lord said, why aren't you looking in the spirit to see what's going on with this person? And the second he said that, I felt terrified. Because for me personally, choosing to try to look in the spirit to see what was going on with this person was putting my hope, at the the baby uh, fledgling hope that I was growing about healing, was putting it at risk because of my experience with my friend Peter. I was comfortable saying the prayers that I was supposed to pray. But me deciding to look in the spirit was me putting a personal investment in whether this person got healed or not. And I knew that was terrifying, but in that moment, I also knew that if I didn't, I was choosing to leave that pain inside of my heart. And so, without thinking much, I looked in the spirit, and I saw this blurry thing on this person's back. I'm like, great, a blurry thing. I don't know what this is, this is not helpful. Uh Uh-oh, way to go, thanks a lot, (laughs) you know. um, That was some wisdom, you know. Um, Where's Ecclesiastes, you know. And then I, my little act of faith, I said, hey, does your back hurt here? I touched the blurry spot. And the person said, yeah, that's exactly where it hurts. My hope went from here to here. (laughs) And the second it did that, I clearly saw this blurry uh, spot uh, clarify into a little metal turnkey. And I'm like, is it really that simple? And so I said, "Hey, here's what I see. I'm gonna pantomime turning this key And so I reached behind their back, put my fingers on this thing, feeling nothing under my hands, and I thought to myself, lefty Lucy. Uh, Because you don't want to screw that up. (laughs) That's, that's, see, wisdom, wisdom. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, And I turned what seemed like the right thing to do three times. I saw the key turn under my hand even though I felt nothing on on my hand. I turned it three times. The person turned around and said, that was the weirdest thing. It loosened, then loosened, then loosened again, and all the pain is gone. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, And two more people came up after that, and both of them got healed of what they had come with. And then a person came after them who didn't get healed. It's important to recognize that the Lord is asking us to believe in his goodness, but he's not asking us to be in denial to protect it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it, it is important to recognize, again, that God is asking us to believe in his goodness, but he is not asking us to live in denial to protect it because that actually ultimately harms it. And I've seen people since then be healed of cancer who are in uh, just as desperate a straits as my friend Peter was. I've had a lot of people give me a lot of answers to why that happened or why that didn't happen, and all of them have been uh, good, But and I say this with all kindness, I've not felt wisdom on any of them. I've not felt, anytime anyone has tried to explain, well, this is why this didn't happen with Peter. Or this is why that happened. Or here's what you should think about that or feel about that. They've all been good, but I haven't heard wisdom. And maybe that's just a piece of wisdom that God isn't making available to us. Or maybe it's one he'll make available tomorrow. I don't know. But I know that he has invited us to trust him. And he is attuned with the reality that, hey, sometimes these things happen that are confusing, that are hurtful. If you get to the end of the book of Job, God restores his fortune, he has, he has more kids, you know. Some people mistakenly uh, look at that as a reinforcement of the, of the um, uh, retribution principle. That are like, oh, well good things happen. It's not meant to be taken that way at all because his kids still died. <laughs> it's intentional that there is a loss there that is for his entire life. And that we understand that sometimes things happen that cost us something, and that debt, at least in our earthly experience, cannot be repaid. And he's asking us to trust him, while still seeing that reality. Does that make sense? Alright, so stand up if you would. <clears throat> I hope that quick flyover maybe inspired you to dive into some of these uh, wonderful books of the Bible a little bit. They're very uh, they're very fun to do deep dives on. There's a lot of good good teaching out there. Um, but right now, I just want to pray for an, uh, an impartation of wisdom, because again, what this started with, at least for me, in in re pursuing these these books, is um, God has asked us, I believe, to view the world as a generation that we're called to father, that we're called to mother. And that is a different attitude, a different posture than maybe we respond with by default. So Lord, we ask for wisdom. We ask for your wisdom. We want to not just have good ideas. We do not just want to follow a, a rule book, but we want to be allied with your wisdom. We want to be associated with your wisdom. We want to see the world as you made it to be. We want to humbly recognize that there are places you have decided to leave mysterious. And we want to be able to engage where we can uh, question and we can make room for people who question, Not, but in a way that is adherent to the fear of the Lord, that is adherent to the invitation to trust him, and that we would actually make room to bring the kind of reinforcement of belief, reinforcement of faith, reinforcement of connection with your heart that is actually designed by this wrestle with wisdom, Lord. So we would just humbly stand before you, Lord, and ask for wisdom today.